Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your studio to learn from dedicated artists and expand as a maker in the legendary Marathon program. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive, first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters are a Seattle-based, full-service, wholesale coffee roaster and retailer with over 25 years of experience defined by a focus on premium roast coffee and local and global community. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off your order of coffee by using the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you make an online order. Emma Cousin was born in Yorkshire in the United Kingdom in 1986 and is currently based in London. Recent solo exhibitions include Introductions at White Cube, Goldsmiths CCA in London, the Milton Keynes Art Centre in the UK, Lewis M. Art House in London, Adele Asante in the UK, and Dolph Projects in London. Recent group exhibitions include She Came to Stay at Andrea Festa Fine Art in Italy, Female Objectivity at Palazzo de Matova in Italy, Soft Bodies at Castlefield Gallery in Manchester, Ridiculous at Elephant West in London, Jerwood's Arts Exhibition Survey at Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art in Gateshead, The Blue Coat at Liverpool, and G39 in Cardiff, UK. Her work is in the Zuzium Museum Riga, the Samadhi Art Foundation in Bangladesh, Aishti Foundation in Lebanon and Asman Museum in Malaysia. In September 2021, Emma will have a solo show with Nehru Ratnam Gallery in London across three spaces showing new drawings, paintings, and video. She graduated from Ruskin School of Drawing and Fine Art, University of Oxford, in 2007. She started her own project space, Bread and Jam, in 2015 to 2017, which she ran for two years in her home in Broccoli. She was a participant at Skowhegan in 2018. She recently co-curated Unstilled Life, an exhibition focusing on animations across three galleries at Ron Mando's Gallery in Amsterdam, Tintype Gallery London, and the online platform Blink Video. In 2020, she established the podcast Chats with Artists in Lockdown, which is now on its second series. Emma and I speak about early days in North England, feeling aggressive, playing musical instruments, working things out with paint, and much more. Here's our conversation. You know, 
probably boring for you to talk about, but. Well, it's interesting, that class thing. Yeah. Because Americans are like, oh, we don't have that. But I'm not sure about that. But anyway. We do. It's just a little <laughs> less tiered. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's less like um, everyone's so conscious of it here in a way. You know, and, and I, I remember someone saying when I went to Skowhegan, they were like, oh, you guys are just so hung up on it. You know, it's almost like we don't want to let go of it because it means something. I don't know. Um, you know, it's like where you're from or something. Right. Isn't it a um, bit more unconscious, though? Like yes and no. Really I mean, conscious of it. Well, I'd love to say no. I mean, I think um, I think it's hard because it's this aspirational thing. It depends which class you're in, right? Maybe it's easy, it's easier to be less conscious if you're not in a lower class or something. Right. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, you're you're right, not necessarily, but it is definitely part of the um, the current consciousness, like socially. You know, yeah. especially, especially at the moment, I guess, with um, everything happening and the people that tend to uh, get forgotten or left out in pandemics <laughs> or suffer more. You know, if you don't have a, have a family home you can go to in the country or a garden or a whatever, all this stuff starts to be about social mobility and yeah. access and all that jazz. So in some ways it's impossible not to be conscious of it, but I don't know, maybe that's a bit depressing. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is a thing. We, can, <coughs> you know, we can choose to not talk about that. It's just like the <laughs> art world. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can, you can dip into that, and I guess there's some interest in it, or at least it's good to have those things on your radar. Yeah, but I mean, I guess you yeah. can ignore it too if you really want to. You know? Yeah, it's interesting to think about it in a sense of belonging. Like maybe that's what she meant when this this person said to me about we cling on to it. That it's like sometimes in the art world, you go into a gallery, you just feel like you don't oh God, I, you know, I don't know what to say in this environment or I'm not sure what, how to behave or even like how to dress like the person that you should be in that space or whatever. And it, I think it takes quite a while just to come to terms with being yourself in spaces. <laughs> you know, anyway, whether it's even like a family environment and what that means um, and you grow into that and that's an age thing too. But I think, um, yeah, I think that is part of, the, you know, this kind of elitism versus access versus like cleverness versus like opacity versus like academia, all that stuff is quite vibrant, I guess, and, and lively in the art world. <laughs> quite. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like um, since there is a lot of youth in the art world, like a lot of it is built almost like in you know, the music industry of like the up and comers. And that's where a lot of action and, you know, yeah, I'm charged so energy is, you know, that yeah. A lot of those people, to think about a lot of those people who have been in the art world for, you know, decades and decades still preying on that sort of like new energy when <laughs> as you get older and you just realize it's all just this, you know, song and dance sort of thing that you don't buy yeah. into it anymore and you just, you, you feel very comfortable just doing what you do, you know? If only you could have that when you were younger, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, I guess that's yeah. an old desire to know what you know then what you know now sort of thing or at least but feel I, about it the way you do you know now back then you see that's interesting because i don't think i even ha i don't think it's a stat like um uh, a secure thing that sense i mean sometimes i feel like it's great and every i can walk i'm happy there and other times i'm like freaking out that i'm gonna i don't know forget the reference or like seem stupid i mean it's that age old thing of like trying not to look stupid or say something dumb but also try and be funny and, all, you know, it's all that jazz at the same time. And then I guess it's interesting right now here that the, the youth thing, um, there's a lot of really young artists who seem really comfortable and confident. And maybe it's because they feel they have to be, I don't know. But it, it's interesting that youth question, like, 
does it bring you a certain authority right now? I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, I think it, it's complicated stuff. There was that Malcolm yeah. Gladwell thing that he said. It was really, I thought it was really great where he's talking about sort of like being smart, like as you, I, I'm going to butcher it, but as you get mm-hmm. older, being comfortable in what you don't know. And there's yeah. a certain sort of value and intelligence in that. You know, well, that's true. Embracing yeah. what you don't know and not being like hung up on it. Well, I think there's that thing of the um, position of the artist. You do also realize is partly like the fascination, anxiety, like excitement of not knowing. And that idea of like, I mean, anxiety in a good way, like kind of the, the, the itch of it, like, oh, I know nothing about this and it's fascinating. You know, like it's like reading books about animal behavioral psychology and you're like, wow, there's these flies that like make webs of food that look like balloons and then feed them to their wives. Like, this is great. So they can like go and have sex with them around the back. And that's very absurd, but it's real and it's something you know nothing about. Therefore, it seems very exciting. But then you speak to someone who knows about it and they're like, yeah, but that has nothing to do with with how humans behave, you know, and you're like, okay. (laughs) So I think we have a way of like, maybe it's like mining, you know, and if you know, if you, if you know too much, it it becomes, maybe it becomes harder to mine. I don't know. I'm interested in that naive position, you know, and, and you can also make mistakes. You can, um, and, and I guess that's often the way that we consume stuff is that we are really curious and we want to like make these connections rather than becoming the expert maybe. Right. I don't know. Well, the the cachet of of knowing stuff has so changed. I think mm. in the last twenty years, because I remember in school there were certain professors who just seemed to know all this <laughs> stuff about random shit, like you know about like you know Chinese scroll painting or you know tapestries and you got whatever it was. They just mm. knew all this stuff, and you were like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Like that mm. person's amazing. They know all this stuff. <laughs> now it's like you can just Google it. So it's almost like you know someone who's collecting all these vintage tools in their in their in their garage and yeah. you don't really need it anymore you know what i mean it doesn't have the value it once had because anyone could just google something quickly and find it you know so Maybe. you don't really have yeah. to necessarily store it i mean it doesn't mean it's not valuable to know that stuff it's yeah. just it's a there's a different value on it i think placed on it these days and maybe that's where the kind of tension comes in because actually like I feel like we're all trying to become like, like we actually do want to know that depth like I'd love to never google anything and be like you know did right. you know this cloud formation means it will thunder this evening or something like I, I love these random bits of like mean, my grandparents had these knowledge of like the everyday stuff like like weather systems and barometers and stuff and they could interpret this information in a way that felt it's like of, a, of an age. I don't know. We'll never do yeah. that because we have phones that tell us that shit. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. And I think then there's a tension between wanting to become like wanting to, I don't know, like that autodidactic thing. It'll, it'll go on forever. Like we could keep right. learning forever. And there are, but there's, you know, and you discover like, I'm just reading a bit about Hemingway and I'm like, oh, Hemingway and Beethoven have and the back and then Debuffy have this weird connection in my mind. Maybe they don't really. Someone will be like, that's bull. But anyway, I, I think right now they do. So, but, but you know, maybe I, sh- I should already have read Hemingway. Like, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit behind on this thing, you know. Um, so the, what I'm saying is it's like endless. There's an endless, and that's what's the joy of it too, with what we're doing maybe, that we can endlessly do that, make those connections. I, yeah, and I think that's what makes it interesting because if you think about art mm. these days, 
Like you're just taking stuff and remix. It, it, we're basically all remixing in a way. Mm. You're inventing new things, but you're just remixing. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel very, that much at this point. Yeah. You know, like post Warhol or whatever. It's just like, yeah. you know, it, it. everything's coming from somewhere essentially. Or yeah. every human is a collection of experiences and is talking about things that aren't necessarily really new. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, wh- yeah. who's a, a great artist you can think of today? Like, a, a great sculptor or painter that you really are into, like, the ideas behind the work. Those ideas aren't necessarily new. It's just the way mm-hmm. they combine all that stuff, the way they make it, and the look, and then what they lived just becomes really interesting, you know? Yeah, and it's that thing where someone says, oh, your work looks, looks a bit like Philip Guston or something. Like, there's the Guston thing. Like, yeah. the hand of these people, I guess, is is always hovering around as well in, in a way that's helpful but also kind of irritating sometimes. <laughs> no, yeah, totally. But that's when you're good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> remember when the German sort of painting explosion happened in, was it in the late 90s? I don't know, whenever mm. Neo Rausch became mm-hmm. like really big. But everyone after that kind of had some Neo Rausch going on in their work. And it was I, just yeah. like, he's that good. It's irritating because <laughs> there's a million like copies. Like it's like that with musicians too. There's certain bands that are so good that like you get all these sort of knockoff bands that come after it. But, yeah. you know, that just means you're really good. Like yeah, you, that's, or you've yeah. made a big impression, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imitation is the highest compliment, isn't it? Isn't that the phrase? So. <laughs> highest form of flattery. Flattery, that's it. Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but there, it is interesting also that a lot of bands sound the same. I mean, I think right now, especially, maybe it's just because the same ones get played all the time. But um, right. I mean, I know you're you're in bands and you're making music as well, and that's like a whole. That must be a whole frustration, like hearing the same monotonous crap on the same radio stations. Because <laughs> it's interesting. I was thinking, how do you find new music? Like that's a challenge as well, you know. These days, I feel like mm. it's so easy because really, that's interesting. Online, I mean, you know, I when I came up, it was like you had to go to the record store and you couldn't sample things really, so you just had to go on the cover art mm. and just guess, or someone told you, and then you find out, oh, this sounds like this, or this is. So now it's like you can sample everything so quickly and there's so much available that yeah. it's, you know, it, it it becomes easier to access a lot more information, I think. But mm. the path of it can sometimes be determined by algorithms and stuff. Exactly. That's what but I mean. I, yeah. I destroy the algorithm because I, I get so wacky with the diversity yeah. of what I'm listening to that <laughs> I can't figure it out in a way. It's funny. That's what I'm, some, I'm trying to do. I still get some good recommendations though. Nice. Yeah, John, I was listening to John Waters a bit recently and he has a, he used to pay kids to go to gigs so that he could they would tell him who was hot right now because he's now like oh, seven, really? 70 something or something. You yeah, know, he yeah. used to go to the gig, but now he like pays these young kids to be like, right, here's 40, 14 bucks, like go to the gig and then like tell me who was great. <laughs> I <laughs> thought like that was report. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. So, like, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. He, speaking of Skowhegan, he was there when I was there as a visitor. No. Yes. Oh, that would have been amazing. I mean, I would have just been fangirling massively, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. I don't want to Skowhegan brag, but my year was pretty amazing. Hooks to go on. Who did you have? uh, We had Polly Affelbaum, Mm. Byron Kim, Suzanne McClellan, Guillermo Cuica. We had Howardina Pendel. Wow. Oh, no, no, no. No, Lorraine O'Grady. Howardina was in my grad school. Um, and uh, a lot of the participants were pretty great too. It was just oh, yeah. and Tom Friedman, who was amazing. Speaking of which, we shared music 
cassette oh, tapes nice. of like mixtapes and stuff, which was kind of cool. Oh my yeah, god, it was a great, that's so it was a great nice. Summer. But when did you go? What year? Uh, 2018. Yeah, and I How think it's. I mean, it was incredible. I think it's this whole thing, like this mythology. I remember, I remember getting in, and the, you know, the people were like, "You have to apply." So I kind of just applied, thinking it wouldn't happen, and then you get in, and then I was like, I had a show here, my first, like, I guess first felt like a important solo show and I w- would have to be in Skowhegan. So I was like, maybe I don't, shouldn't go, you know? And then they I had a call and she was like, you know what? It's up to you, but you won't regret it if you, you know, you know, I'll never be able to explain what you're missing kind of thing. And I remember right. being like, oh, come on, you know? And I, so I did, I went and I missed this show opening and it was completely the right thing to do. And, you know, I was small fry compared to a lot of people and what they were missing <laughs> as well to be there. So it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And something where, again, you know, I sort of think about reliving it every month or something. Like if you could go back and have that time. And oh, yeah. um, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. I think the, the immersion into inquiry in every sense, like social inquiry too. Like what's it like to live with people and wake up with them and sleep next to them and, you know, kind of clean your teeth and all that jazz, as well as the studio visits and the studios and the, the talks and the, I don't know, the social stuff, the swimming. There's the, it was like this 360 emerge. It is hard to talk about without sounding kind of cliche or, or I don't know, flippant or... Uh, yeah, I mean, it people highly regard it because it's a, it's a pretty amazing experience. You know, I mm. haven't done a ton of residencies, but that, that one was sort of the benchmark, but mm. I'm curious, like, you know, cause I've, it's been 19 years before you went yeah. when I was there. So wow. there was no tech really. <laughs> I mean, there was one computer in the, the sculpture area, I think, or the office that you could try to make an appointment to, to try to get <laughs> online, but online wasn't like it was. So I wonder how, tech has changed it is everyone just on their phones and you have service and stuff so this is really interesting because actually there was definitely a a tension there between yes it necessarily being like part of the experience because of people wanting to do I mean green screen is there now so you can do all all sorts of things um you know all sorts of camera work there's you know the technology stuff is there but they were quite keen to keep it like in a building so it was almost like you could only get Wi-Fi in that building, which meant like certain times of day, like everybody being there, like on, you know, family Zooms or like boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, um, or watching things or, yeah. I mean, it was definitely, but, but actually that was, that's kind of obviously one of the most liberating things that you just couldn't get internet connection. You couldn't get phone signal. So you just couldn't speak to people. And it, and it kind of, and they didn't, I mean, there was no enforcement, you know, no one was like, I don't know, fined or like told off or whatever, but it was kind of an, uh, implied that it would be better if people didn't do it. Um, yeah. especially for privacy too. I think things happen there that you just want to be able to have those discussions in private and make work that is in private in a way that is like as a community rather than like to show as a product. It felt so different to be making like that in that way with, without worry about showing stuff. Um, I mean, that's, I guess, pivotal in a way. Right. Yeah, no, I can imagine that was, you know, that's, uh, that was such a big part of it when I was there that you're just in your own world. Yeah. There's nothing there. Yeah. You just work. And then there's people that you talk to. Yeah. So the yeah. idea of that being in a place where you're doing selfies and posting on Instagram seems like it would kill the buzz, you know? 
Yeah, thankfully. I mean, I had seen like the year before there was one or two shots of like the last supper bit, which I'm not going to talk about because I'm not sure we're supposed to, but um, <laughs> I feel like ruined ruin the myth. But um, yeah, so and I just I never had the desire to, um, which was interesting, I guess, because, yeah, I was f- from England. So it was far away. It was different time zone. Maybe it was easier not to as well because it wasn't on my turf. So it was like being yeah. in a different world completely. Um, there were, I mean, there were periods where I was like homesick and a bit like, oh, it's 10, you know, it's 10 weeks, nine, 10 weeks. Um, but on the whole, I'd say, and also post, you could get post and that became really exciting too. You know, right. like the, ma- the mail was like, Snail mail. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but it was so cool. You know, everyone would go and check their post and then you'd, I don't know, share what you got and send real things. Uh, that was quite exciting. Yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, whenever you get a letter these days, it is really, I mean, other than a bill, it's like, oh wow, <laughs> someone took the time I, to write something. I love that over there. I don't know if you guys did this over the pandemic, but a lot of people here were like posting people drawings. Like I would randomly think, find a drawing and be like, oh, I know this person's thinking about this idea or these forms are appearing in this person's Instagram. I'm going to like put it in the post and write a little note. And, and I did that with a few people and a few people did it back, you know, or sent like badges from something they were making or like coloring books that they made for a community project or like, like post was quite a thing in the, one of the massive benefit, like a good thing that came out of it, that it felt like people like had time to be thoughtful and time to go to a post office and, you know, actually send something. Yeah. Did you guys have that or were you doing any correspondence stuff or? Honestly, no. No. (laughs) Well, at least I, I mean, it sounds really nice. Yeah. Uh, We were in a pretty strict lockdown. Like we were not going out at all. So yeah. the idea of going to the Brooklyn post office is, I don't even know like how, what the deal was. Like if it was open on the inside or I, yeah, I didn't even, yeah, fair enough. I didn't yeah, test that, those waters, but it is a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was thinking about this. There was a show in Switzerland that I saw once that was about work that was made, um, post war, like interwar basically in between the wars, but just, I think it was on the cusp of the second world war. And it was the one space that was like neutral territory. And a lot of artists were trying to get there, but a lot of artists didn't make it there. So they would post work to each other and have these kind of conversations in drawing, which were really amazing. And they'd yeah. drawn on each other's work. Um, like hands up was someone who was involved. And, um, I can't remember what they called it now. Like but it was like a telephone call. So they called, they called it something to do with these like wires that were being translated. The wires being the line as well. Right, right. Just, just so nice. And I remember thinking halfway through, like, this feels like we could do that. I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not practical, but. Oh, I no, know. I think it is. I think yeah. I was just, I was in full hermit mode. Like I wasn't <laughs> going out at all for a long time. But no, that sounds amazing. Yeah. It'd be really cool to, I mean, anytime you you get something that's like that in the mail that's, you know, it has such a different meaning now than it used to. I think yeah. that's why, you know, not the cheesy transition, but that's <laughs> what, you know, handmade art, like that's the value of it these days. It's like, oh, someone sat in a room and worked on this for like a couple of weeks. Yeah. And yeah. there's just this one. I mean, there's something amazing about that because I don't think it happens as much as it used to you know what I mean that's there's something special about that and I think yeah I think that is the danger of I don't know the Instagram thing but yeah the idea of like actually going I'm finding it now feels more like a pilgrimage like I'll go it's only like a a normal tube ride or like three trains or whatever 
but, but going to the show feels like this. I'm getting myself in the headspace. I'm imagining it. I'm kind of, and it feels very exciting to see art for real in a really new way. I think I was almost like a bit done with museums. I was like, oh God, like almost like doing it because I felt I ought to do it rather than, I mean, I'm talking about in London here rather than, I think if you travel, you get that fresh perspective and you feel that's so, you know, walking into the Met for the first time or something, that experience you can relive almost every time because you're not yeah. doing it all the time. But right. I think um, now I'm getting that experience and also impressed at like what people have made over this time because it's sort of like we're kind of getting to see the fruits in some senses of what people might have been doing if they've been in hibernation, what that might look like, feel like, smell like, sound like, you know. Totally. Yeah, it's a different... It's coming out of that hi- hibernation in a way, you know, mm. in, in going out and seeing things. Not only is it interesting to see what they're doing and how it's presented and all that, it's also interesting to see how or to feel how we experience it differently. You know mm. what I mean? Because you take, one would take going to see art for granted. You know what I mean? Like I would go to a museum or go to a gallery show and be like, yeah, this is what it is. Yeah. You know, and then I found that when I was able to start going back, there was a different enjoyment sensibility to the experience you know yeah it was just you know it it recalibrated i think everything but it makes me also think about that music thing again about how we find new music because it's something about paying attention i think i don't know like spotify is incredible like i'm quite lazy so often it'll just give me a playlist or give me a thing and you know, you just, you consume the stuff without really, I couldn't tell you who it was, you know, I couldn't remember the name of the person. So right. there's something about that, which maybe is changing now. I'm just sort of finding myself paying more attention, like thinking, what is it about this that's drawing me back? Or what, how is it making me feel, you know, when you leave a show, um, especially a great show, like, yeah, I saw a great show last night and just felt amazing this morning. I felt like I wanted, to, I was like, ah, oh, can't wait to be in the studio. This is yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that energy. It, it just completely, yeah. The fact it can like feed you in that way is, um, it's quite remarkable. You know, so if, I remember seeing, this has happened a few times, seeing certain things and then you almost feel like, oh yeah, this, I'm, I'm part of this thing and I'm doing this thing. Like it sort of feels a bit, um, it's just amazing, like kind of amazing. I think it's good to be reminded that it's you're very lucky as well as it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And <laughs> yeah, and the the kind of experiences that you, you know, I, I feel like that always happens too when you move from a studio or a situation. Like let's say you go to Maine and you're there for nine weeks. Like um, there's a whole new recalibration and it's kind of good to sort of see everything new and try new things and that's you know. true. Yeah, I mean, it was quite hard to make work there, actually, in a way. I mean, I did make work, but I'm not sure it was great work. <laughs> it was like, but maybe that's most residencies. You're not really supposed to go there and make the best things. It's sort of this experiment in lots of ways. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite liberating to be kind of, to have the rug pull like that, especially on the back of a show, where you sort of feel like you yeah. kind of, you know, you hope it's going to be a good, get, you know, oh, yeah, this is this is great stuff, and you're excited. Right, and then. Right. And also I didn't see it. So then it was, it was a brilliant thing to be like knocked off that pedestal pretty quickly and be like, right. okay, you don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it completely displaced in the work, which was really, I think that's, maybe that's what's so great about it. But with the support system that I didn't feel just like the panic of it. Right. Yeah. Cause there's so many good people, like mm. colleagues and exactly what they just call them participants and then not yeah. teachers, but you know, visitors or whatever like yeah just the people there it's it's yeah it's pretty special so well let's get 
I mean, that's a lot of, we jumped right <laughs> into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> Did you grow up near London? No. I, so sh- I, gr- I should I, probably know where you grew up, sorry. No, you shouldn't, you shouldn't know that. Um, so I grew up in Yorkshire, which is the north of England, um, like in a small town called Osset, uh, which actually recently I've been researching like why it's called that. It's spelled O-S-S-E-T-T. It's like this really mm-hmm. strange word. Um, which has lots of references that it might mean this, might mean that. But one reference is it's a, a name for like a flock of a certain type of bird, an English bird, which I quite like. Anyway. Um, it's nice. So this strange town, I think I'm just becoming more, because I don't live there now. And I guess none of my family are there anymore. I think it's interesting you suddenly become a bit obsessed with where you're from, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And your learning roots. about that. Yeah, your roots, you know, what what does it mean? The, what, the town, what... It was a lot a mining kind of district. Industry. The industry was mining mainly before Thatcher, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it was quite an interesting, simple. It was very near the countryside. I think the main thing is like every weekend we would. My, my parents had a caravan, and we would go into the York, Yorkshire Moors or the Dales, or you know, kind of like imagine like Heathcliff, like kind of barren, wide open, amazing, um, but quite dulled rainy countryside you know yeah quintessentially english right like a cooler climate up north i mean it's all yeah (laughs) people it's interesting (laughs) well london's more gray i would say actually than up north it's one nice thing about london i think is the the shades of gray like there is i've never seen so many grays in in london and, and the light here is extraordinary you get these like purple grays in the evening and then there's like sharp blue cold grays in the mornings like it is quite extraordinary that that palette is really unique but where, yeah up north I think it's more I mean I don't really remember because I was a kid and I wasn't interested in weather as a child I am obsessed with weather now so it's, uh, <laughs> one of the signs of getting older you start no, talking I, about the weather <laughs> I, I love the weather um yeah. and my, it's one of the things I used to speak to my granddad about so it's also this relationship with him um but um yeah, I think it, it used to be like sunny a lot. So sunny and rainy. So you get kind of all the seasons maybe in one day. You have lots of variation. You have to be prepared for anything. Like, you know, as a kid, there was not really an excuse. You'd go and do the thing, like the climbing or the walking or the activity in any weather. Like there was no, you know, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's too cold. Like, <laughs> so, right. you know, we had to be quite hardy. So that was nice. That was good, I think. It's a good way to be brought up. Were your were your parents? Did they work in creative fields at all? No. So they're both. Uh, they were both teachers. Um, my yeah. My mom was an English teacher. So we were around a lot of books. Like there were stacks of papers, and she she did a PhD. Um, so my father died when I was quite young. Uh, he was a science like teacher, um, and actually a badminton like great, really good at badminton. So kind of very sporty, uh, and. Yeah. That's a cool sport to be talented in. It's kind of amazing. I remember at the time being like, this is the weirdest sport. Like, it's kind <laughs> of like, <laughs> it's quite, quite um, like light touch. You know, it's quite, it's sort of this prancy right. thing. It looks a bit like it's dance. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very light on your feet. And he loved climbing as well. And he, so there's that thing of like this kind of stocky, solid guy who has, you know, quite broad face, a bit like me. Um, and then could do this like balletic aerial stuff. It's really nice. So, I mean, that's no, all great. from my imagination, I guess. But yeah, it, I did play badminton for a while just to kind of understand the, the shuttlecock thing. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I know it's, it's a weird thing, right? It's really we used weird. To, I still, like my extended family, when we go to their house, we always play badminton. It's fun. Nice. That's oh, they're nice. a family of tennis players. So it's, you know, it's, it's related. Yeah. 
and some. You see, I never got on with tennis. One. I don't know. It's too Me too gravity, too gravity orientated somehow. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's intense. <laughs> Not as forgiving. Um, was yeah. there, was the family a fo- is there a local football team up there? Um, who would who would a local root for? Uh, that was a good question. I mean, so I'm a bit conflicted in this because my my mum's side of the family are huge Preston North End fans. So okay. PNE, it's where like David Beckham started at P- right. Preston. That's, I mean, anyone who knows <laughs> the teams will be like, oh god, that was like years ago, and he was there for like a week. But um, right. <laughs> it's not quite. But it's true. the claim, the fame. Yes, yeah, is the claim. Yeah. So um, so I guess as a kid, we always sort of supported vicariously Preston. Um, maybe Leeds, Leeds United is like the nearest oh, yeah, team yeah. who had like, it was interesting because it was a quite a turbulent, they were amazing for a while and then they like went, ter- you know, right down to the bottom of the league. And so they, I think it's quite maybe a Northern thing too, <laughs> that whole like, there's, it's never a straight path. There's always a bit of like, um, you know, I, I like a good complain. Like there has to be something to whine right, about right. a little bit. <laughs> Something, yeah, something to commiserate about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, can't all be good because then you wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> right, exactly. Gonna, there's got to be something to look forward to or look up to, right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of like optimist. Uh, yeah, I think there's an, 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 optim, an optimist, an optimistic, optimistic spirit up there. Like everyone talks to everyone, generally, it's kind of complaining right. in a way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm being really harsh. Um, yeah. Well, so how did how did creative creativity come into your life because you didn't start off right didn't were you studying law no um I mean I was gonna study basically I went to school um and uh, yeah they had this thing where they could send a certain number of people to Oxford on this like kind of taster course thing to maybe study there um and I don't know I was really torn I just liked learning like I really was a really keen learn I loved anything new so I and I loved books I loved um poetry you know I, so English literature was probably one of my top like you know I was like I kind of want to be a writer you know I could kind of imagine right. but it felt really lofty I mean I was never going to be I was like oh, obviously that's not going to happen like I'd have to go and teach English or something or um yeah be a lawyer or I don't know why law I guess law was interesting because it was language you had to formulate an argument um, my mum loved like family debates around the dinner table and and the morals of it, the kind of questionable, like the ethics of representing someone that might be guilty and the kind of how you judge these cases and research. I don't know. It was sort of interesting, but I, you know, you don't know anything about law when you're at school. Right. I was like, basically it was a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. was like, maybe I should do that. Um, and I didn't really, I'm not sure I knew I had much option and that's not really a criticism of parents. It's just like, I just, I, I, it was always like you have to go and earn some money and be able to live your life in a way, like, and th- be stable, whatever that means. Because um, I also played a lot of instruments, but, it, and I was actually toying with joining the military, like being a musician's, in the musician's army. So in the UK, they have the, like the band, you could join with, with some instruments and, and you'd be in these various bands and it was like a jazz band. And, and I was excited. You got to play for the Queen if you're in the right. jazz, like in the, British military band and basically you wouldn't you wouldn't really go to war so you'd have all the like physical PT stuff which I loved um like rolling around the mud and being kind of you know everything's quite hard work aggressive and I kind of have a bit of an aggressive streak I think and then I didn't know where to put that energy either I wasn't good at doing it I was hate confrontation I hate so it meant I was kind of intrigued by that and then 
the music thing. Um, so I was genuinely, um, I went on like a camp thing to like taste it and was like, I'm going to do this. This is great. What did you play? Um, I played trumpet, violin, cornet, and then was singing as well. But you actually had to have three instruments at grade eight level. Nice. So it would have had, I would have had to like really go for it with the violin because I wasn't at the right grade. Um, anyway, my, my, my mom was really anti the military. So she was like, I'm not sure about this. Uh, and that, so I went on this law thing. It was like a co- like weekend course thing. And basically when I was in Oxford, I went into the wrong building. I woke up late. Uh, went into the wrong building and it ended up it was the art building and they had these prospectuses on the shelf and I love it I mean I was studying art like I loved art I genuinely I was like that's what I did all the time I drew all the time but it was almost like uh people you know ignore it was like oh yeah she like she does she likes drawing and I draw pictures of stuff and it, it wasn't like oh she's great and she's gonna I don't know it wasn't ever an option in a way um it was more just something I did people I don't know Thought it was a bit weird, maybe. <laughs> it's just, just drawing all the time. Um, so, yeah, so I suddenly read it and I just thought... And they, they studied anatomy as well. And it just felt like it was speaking to me directly. And it was weird because, you know, you would have thought I'd be like, I'll never get in. Like, that should be my first response. It's a tiny course. Um, but I didn't feel like that at all. It was just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's it. And, um yeah. You caught the bug. I, mean, I love it. A lot of yeah. lives in the arts starts off with the wrong building. I just bumped into <laughs> the wrong building. Sleeping in as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Later start times. You know, when I, I remember when I was in college, I always liked painting for fun, like as a kid. And then I would draw. And then when I went to college, you know, as a liberal arts major, I took art history and I loved the idea of art. Mm. I didn't really think about mm. making it. But I remember at one point, I don't know why, but I was walking through the art building and seeing the studios and like a light went off, you know, I was like, oh, wow, yeah. wait, people go in there and they just do that. You know what I mean? And it was just so exciting. Yeah. So, uh, you I know, mean, yeah. it's, I, yeah. it, you're lucky if you're provided an experience as a, as a young person to where you can understand that it's actually something you can do with your life. Well, this is it. And I think it's interesting because also I did have an amazing art teacher and actually I went to a girl's school and I, there was a boy's school like affiliated. They were across the road. Um, And so I decided like a certain point I said to the headmistress of the girl's school, look, I want to go to this, to the boy's school because their department, they were like doing fine art and the girl's school had to do like art and design. So like more like fashion stuff. And it was a bit, for me, it was like art light and I wanted to like paint and draw and like be really intense about how much it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, get kind of gritty. So I ended up what, like I went to the boy's school. So it was this whole thing and it was, ended up being quite crazy because it was me and a group of like 36 boys in a boys school with me walking across from the girls school, like, you know, three, four times a week, whatever, and doing like the GCC. And then, well, I think it was A-level actually that I did that. Um, but quite controversial. It was like, oh, wow, you know, Emma's doing the, the boys school. Like, you know, and everyone thought it was to meet boys, obviously. But it was genuinely to, um, and I was terrified of the boys actually. And I just wanted them to think I was great at, at what I was making. But boys are really great. I think in that environment, it was really good for me because they were very critical. They were like that drawing sucks. Like that drawing is like terrible. And, but they would be very honest. And if you did something that was great, they would also be like, guys, everyone look at this. Like, 
it felt like a really interesting environment to be in as someone who hadn't been around that at all. And I think maybe like without the the sort of father figure, I don't know, but like the idea of being around men was was for me really really brilliant and really helpful at that point in my life anyway. Um to like to tell to encourage me that I was that I had a something to say in in terms of art and painting. Right. Like even at that stage. It sounds like a pretty intense sort of start into the <laughs> arena, you know. But then you I said you're a physical the, yeah. or not conflict, but you're you embrace that kind of like you know that side of things and maybe that challenge in that atmosphere was somewhere that you felt like oh I can dive into this you know yeah I think I was I think it really like made me realize how ambitious I was like how much I was like I want to I remember doing you know even like really early on being like I want to perfect the still life or I want to I don't know and I and to to learn I used to copy like Van Gogh stuff and copy like Leonardo da Vinci studies of water and stuff and and see the, see these things and be like wow these people just like they were obsessed yeah. and I, I I felt a bit obsessed so I was like oh this is okay and it felt like um that was an environment where it was okay to like make 35 small drawings of the same object in different mediums right <laughs> and then could bring them in and then discuss the different you know like it was kind of geeky but like I, I think it really suited me and yeah and it made me think it gave me the confidence to think I could do it as well yeah you know there's a lot of um which is a big part of it right there's a lot of shame that could be introduced to something that you're obsessive about as a young person you know what I mean like if I'm like definitely really into you know, cartoons or comic, but whatever it is, like people would be like, but then when you're in an art class and you make 50 drawings of something that's kind of obsessive, they're like, this is amazing, you know? Uh, Yeah. And that's the thing. And it was like somehow allowed to like go and, you know, if you did, if you did more than what you were supposed to do for homework in any other class, it'd be like, oh, come on. She's so, she's like suck up. Whereas if you do it in art somehow, it's like, whoa, look, she's really like practicing this, this skill. And then, you know, did I mean, did you get that? Did you have a great teacher early on or? Uh, yeah, I did. Like in high school, I had a really great teacher. She introduced mm. me to abstraction, which I guess at that point in my life was a mind blower. You know, I saw that mm. um, name of the movie, the Pollock painting on glass. And I was just like, what the, you know, I didn't understand <laughs> it, but I knew that like, whoa, this is like wacky, you know, in a great way. So, yeah. And then I had uh, yeah. amazing yeah. teachers in college. So. So yeah, that that can really make or break it. I remember in high school too, I had a really terrible, um, it was called Problems of Democracy, but it was kind of like history, social issues class. And he was awful. And he just made us read <laughs> Newsweek magazine and basically talked about his car all day. And I think that really stunted my, my desire or interests in that area for a long time because I just associated, mm. you know what I mean? I, teachers yeah. can really make or break something. Oh, for sure. And they can also crack it right open. Yeah. I mean, there's that thing of, well, I mean, this the same teacher uh, called Peter Dryland. Uh, he's still alive and with us and making work and great. And he um, he showed me the work of Janet Cardiff, oh, um, yeah, yeah. you know, the Canadian artist. And it, it was a piece called Spem in Allium. And I sung that piece. I was in the choral, like a choir from the age of eight. So I think it was my mum's way of like, basically there was lots of rehearsals and it meant that I'd be occupied for like five times a week babysitting but it was kind of yeah um but it was really amazing so it was it was the first time when I realized it was it was that I guess that there was something there was a practice that could actually unify all these interests 
and I was sort of doing it already. It was like, oh, okay, wow, this is, you know, and the effect of walking through that piece um, the physical effect of that, I think I saw it in Liverpool at the Tate, Liverpool. And um, yeah, experiencing Spemanalium, having read about it as well. Right. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Sorry. Those things. We've got the evening plane. What's that? I don't know if you can hear that. We've got the. Uh, there's like a, an evening random helicopter that just like <laughs> scopes the area. Right, right. <laughs> it's quite interesting. No, you, you, um, your microphone's doing a good uh, job of filtering that out. Oh, good. I can, I can uh, in, yeah, good. in post production, I can add a helicopter sound effect to make it very dramatic <laughs> for everyone listening. <laughs> Amazing. I love that's it. That's a certain ambience at the studio, you know? Studio sounds. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, especially around here at Peckham. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, Peckham. <laughs> South London, right? I've yeah, never, southeast, never yeah. been. Is it nice or is it rough around the edges? I mean, I think all the best places in London are both. <laughs> a little bit of both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are there a I lot mean, of I'm artists really in your area, it. though? Or is like that kind yeah. of spaces? Yeah, yeah. This area is, uh, I mean, this building is like 60 artists and then there's another one over there, another one over there. I mean, it's the gentrification problem is ubiquitous. You know, it's, it's that perennial right. thing that uh, the artists move, have to move all the time. But this has been, this is the kind of the best studio for me that I've ever had for sure around here. And it's got a really good sense of community and people nearby. And It's great. Yeah. How long have you been yeah, there? Yeah, it's good. Um, well, I sublet somewhere like across the hall for a little while. Um, so maybe in total five years, four years, like not so long. Um, it's good enough to get the vibe, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. I get good feels in here. You know, you get in and I get like a bit of a belly flutter. It has like North light, which I know painters always talked about that. And I remember looking at this studio and thinking, oh, come on, North light. Like, is that really a thing? Like, and, and also cause I've been in a South studio that faces south and it had sun all day yeah. i was thinking oh maybe this is a bit cold in here and it's a bit i'm not sure and um it's a complete gift like i never really realized yeah northern light is really yeah. it's it's very effective i love sunlight in a studio like i yeah i love that feel of it even though it does make seeing things tricky sometimes or it changes the light but it's really yeah. nice you know what i mean yeah. but northern light is exactly. very utilitarian it's you know it evens things yeah. out in a very nice way yeah, maybe it's my my urge to be in the military, <laughs> like in this <laughs> harsh environment. No, I'm joking. I think that would have been a terrible idea, um, actually, in the end. But <laughs> uh, you you probably struck a good balance, and you can regulate your order the way you like to. That's the best kind of order <laughs> when you set the rules for it. Wait, so so no, let's definitely. go back to art school. Was it a good experience? Yeah. I mean, did you were you going in painting still lives or just doing you know did did you find the conceptual side of your work there or like what were you working out through art school? I think I had quite a tough time if I'm completely honest. I was quite young when I went so I did not do a foundation and that was obviously a conscious decision but it was also slightly led by my feeling of like um you know in the in the year group I I was good at it. Like I felt like I was really good at this thing and I wanted to go and be great at it yeah. and like had to step up to that next like okay I'm, I'm ready to learn everything there is about oil paint for instance um you know and that's just not what undergrad is like right. <laughs> you know well not here anyway most courses it does vary but you know no one's going to sit you down and talk you through like brushes uh, unless you're really lucky um so I felt like it was like this huge jump and also I went from being somewhere where you know I was quite guided like I had great people around me who were like read this book or like maybe think about this or you know to being 
in at Oxford where it's very like self-driven you go and find the book if you don't read it it's also like you're you're bad it's you know there was a lot of kind of I don't know if I was ready for I think I probably needed a bit more help and I wasn't good at asking for it I didn't really know how to I didn't know what to ask for I didn't know how to ask for it and I think now it's fascinating like going into art schools and people will say things like um like, how do you look at a painting? I mean, that's a great question. I'm like, yes, that's a, such a good question. And things like, how do you read is another amazing question. Like, and we should all talk about that because everyone reads differently. And then there's other ways to absorb information. And so I think I wasn't, I wasn't necessary. I think I was like super confident. And then I had this big disappointment of like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm. And I don't know what to do with that. So my instant thing was just to get really upset, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, kind of feel quite devastated. And I put a lot into it. You know, I was still working obsessively in the first year and really like um, working all hours, making these like kind of horrible paintings about bits of the body and big paintings. Everything was turning brown because I didn't, had never used oil paint before. I mean, I was just really young and naive and, and also really crazy ambitious. Like, I'm, I'm the youngest person here and I have to be the best person here. And that's really right. not a great yeah. place to start from. Like, you have to be humble enough to be like, I know jack shit and I want to learn everything. Right. Like, I don't know if I was that open. So I'm not criticizing entirely, but I do, I do think for me, I would have appreciated more like technical learning stuff. I think that's um, the that seems to be the lay of the land with art schools. You're either going mm-hmm. to a place that's unencumbered by that stuff and it's like you got to figure that out in a way or it's like a studio school where it's just about technique. It's yeah. like couldn't we have a little more of a balance? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty <laughs> yeah. of schools out there people listening who are like, "Oh no, they have both." <laughs> of my-. When I was yeah. coming up, I didn't learn anything about how to do it. Yeah. It was just about yeah. what you're doing. You know what I mean? Which is fine. Yeah. I mean, I kind of taught myself the ropes when it comes yeah. to... But to your point, it would have been good to have like a materials class where they tell you like, yeah, if just, you mix this with that, it's going to fall off the face of the canvas. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I got lucky because I think someone in the year above me who was a mature student had had this whole career as like a, an effects artist before so she had these amazing tools that she could and I only learned that by accident because in the degree show someone put a hole through one of my paintings with a ladder and they weren't (laughs) great paintings if I'm honest but I felt very precious about them at the time and I was like there's a hole someone's you know you know Saatchi's not gonna buy it all which never happened anyway but you know (laughs) the idea of like my ambition for the work is just punctured and it was such a good metaphor for the whole experience now but anyway she came and like really deftly like mended this canvas with beeswax and like I remember just watching and it was like probably the the one of the most joyous parts of art school (laughs) you learned a lot that day and I ended up working for her afterwards and and when she graduated and, and she went back to doing what she did before but as like ran her own company and I worked oops sorry I worked for her and learn all sorts of techniques and effects and, you know, brushes and all sorts of jazz. So, um, that's an advantage. Yeah. That was really great. And that, I mean, I think this is always the way, right? Experience, you can't shortcut experience. And I think at the time I was just so impatient to be really good at it. Right. That's and you got a, long- <laughs> it's the, the hours you got to put the hours in, you know? Well, unless you're like Frank Stella. I mean, some people get really lucky and then like, that's true. You know, they're 21 and they're like that young thing again. I think that's, an, that's maybe why I'm kind of um, sometimes a bit dazzled by it because I just didn't manage that. That wasn't me. Right. <laughs> I was too naive, too like 
uncomfortable too too trying to I really tried to please everyone I wanted tutors to like me you know yeah and you can't you can't do yeah I just think that's such a bizarre thing that we're often taught to be in that position and actually you can be an unknowing person but you can also be an equal to someone because you're both humans trying to figure something out like definitely it's taken me a long time to get to that point yeah yeah but those people who are gifted with those you know raw talent or technical ability or you know it's not like they worked for that it was just given to them (laughs) (laughs) i was always unencumbered by any gifts of that nature so it was like you know you need both like because it again not to be you know if you think about music, there are those musicians who are just like, like the Jacob Colliers of the world who are just savants. Yes. Like they yeah. are crazy gifted and they're just on another but plane. That, but that if you voice. had, uh, I know, right. But if you had like 50 Oof. of those people around, it would be way too much. Yeah. <laughs> like you need That's the true. Joey Ramones of the world to just like play through <laughs> chords and like give you raw energy. You know what I mean? Like it's a balance. <laughs> I think my trouble is I thought I was like the Jacob um, and then you get to art school and you're a bit like, oh, I think, and also I think, you know, maybe you, maybe we all are a bit, but then we don't believe it enough. I think there's a lot of, a lot to be said for that. Like it's that thing of, yeah, I don't know, like it gets into the confidence stuff, but yeah, no, it's I interesting to, to I, think about that. I think it's a good point, but I think it's because the metric of that gift is so tied to technique that it's totally. visible. Like there's a lot yeah. of more or less visible ways to have a talent or to an eye for something that doesn't mm-hmm. manifest itself in like raw um, sort of, you know, analytical process. Like that yeah. kind of like figuring out of like, you know, circle of fifths and like harmonies and all these notes. And th- yeah. I mean, it's basically math, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the if you're a weatherman who's just really good at reading a map or picking out when it's going to rain or not. I mean, that's not quantifiable. It's just a a different kind of talent, you know, like to think that some of us who don't have those gifts. It's my next career. (laughs) A weather reporter? A weather woman. No, I'm joking. (laughs) You need a, wait, wait, Emma Cousins? Yeah, it's a little too familial. You need like some sort of like dramatic, you can change it to like, you know, Emma wins or something. (laughs) Like there's all the, the, the weather forecasters are like Rob Storm, you know, or it's like true, something actually. like yeah, great yeah, like that's so weather true. names. I'm thinking now, yeah, Charlotte Rain. So that's great. Good. We could come up with something. These sound like porn star names though as well. This is like hey, a whole it's a, other. It's, it's a very blurry line between the two. <laughs> 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 That's genius. <laughs> It's is my alter ego just there. I've been looking for one, damn it. <laughs> Wait, what was it? Charlotte Rain? Mm. Boy, that really does teeter more towards the uh, X-rated side than the uh, weather <laughs> side. Just what I'm, just what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so back to art school. So when you get out, you decide, yeah. you know, the weather is not the way you're going to focus. And you're going to, I mean, what, like, how did you get your start outside of that? Um, I mean, did you have I mean, a good foundation of people that you met in school and that sort of took you, you know, into the next step or were you finding your way? I mean, yeah, the short answer is like it was I did because um, there were great people at Ruskin. There were great people around. And even though I wasn't great in right then, I think right now I'm friends with a lot of these people and they've, they've everyone's come full circle and 
um, you know, it's been a really interesting and important support network. And, and you know, that old adage of like, oh, you know, you, commu- you network at university. And, but that's real, like still. Um, but having said that, I, f- I basically fell in love with this guy in the second, in my second year, um, who knew everything. He was a lot older and, and that thing of like knowing everything. And it was like living with a dictionary and a person who had all the experiences. And like, so basically I went a bit off the rails. I was very disappointed with the course. I didn't leave, but I probably should have left. And then anyway, so long and short of it is I didn't, I graduated. I did, a, I did fine. I got my degree, but I wasn't, um, I didn't leave in a space that was like, okay, I'm ready to like set up a studio with five of my mates. I was sort of a little bit on the edge and, and kind of a bit lost and, and went down this weird rabbit hole, um, with this guy. So I had a different type of experience. (laughs) Um, but it was, and I think all that feeds in too, because actually once that was over, it was like, okay, um, I'm gonna, I want to get on, like, what am I doing? And it really like re made me really evaluate stuff and, and go back to a lot of things. And, and actually I did get really lucky because of, a few things that happened after Ruskin one, I went on a residency and I think residencies are so good for that. Like taking you out of your habitat, like we said already, but in a way that I don't know, it gave me a time to focus on the work. And that was a different sense of the work. Like there wasn't work. I didn't really know what I was doing, but just to make in a way that was like an everyday making again. Um, and I guess to be in a space that felt safe and making in a safe way that wasn't like a criticism, it was more right. just like quietly making. Um, and that was in um, a, just a gorgeous place as well. I think what your surroundings really feed into, you know, it was, it was in, in Italy in like a, a hilltop village just outside Rome. Um, that doesn't hurt. It was just amazing. I mean, it was sunny. <laughs> there was a bakery opposite like the place where the studio was. The people were amazing. Um it was like being reminded that humanity is really amazing rather than like hard, scary, mean, you know, I was a bit broken, I think, by everything that happened. Um, so it really, it did build me up massively it, as a human. I was like, oh, I'm feeling like I, I want to be with humans again. So, yeah. and, you know, and, and that's why I think that's why we make work to some extent. We're trying to reflect on a lot of these human experiences and different ways to be human and to interact and um so yeah I think my ego had been knocked in a probably a good way and then (laughs) I was like building my body back up to something um and then I was on another residency in Hungary and then got a job in Venice so teaching art at like a little school so yeah so just not in not in my like normal habitat around different languages as well which is really helpful because I didn't have much to say I was like I'm kind of out of talking and I just had to like communicate in different ways um, which was now thinking about it now, a lot of my works, I'm interested in language and gesture and what, how our bodies can speak and, or not speak. And um, what happens if we take language away, I guess. And there was, that was my first experience of that, being on my own in a place where I didn't speak a language, trying to like get by and make work. So yeah, so that was great. And then I worked for a gallery for, for a long time, a series of galleries when I came back to London um, to sort of live, I guess, and was making painting on the weekends, pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah, that can um, be a tough gig when you see the behind the scenes. I think it was, well, yeah, at the beginning it was like this kind of utopic thing of like, oh, I'm near it all. I felt like I was near yeah. the paint, like the physical paint. Um, and, and again, learning loads, like, you know, learning about um, like Bomberg, like a lot of great modern British painters that I didn't know nothing about, learning about sculpture, learning about um, 
I don't know, like the people I worked for were an interesting mix of stuff. So it, it really broadened my knowledge and maybe my art historical knowledge and plugged some of the gaps from university that either weren't taught or I'd missed. Um, so that felt really great. Um, but also, yeah, became quite sad and was like, you know, you don't make great work when you're on the weekend and you're tired and you're trying to fit it in around everything else. And then, you know, it, it was just a bit depressing. Yeah. And making on like bits of cardboard um, but it's fine. I think all that stuff, I mean, the struggle thing is interesting, but it is necessary sometimes to, to even test your metal. Like, sh- are you just going to give up? And then well, that's what that's weeds out so many thing to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of artists out there and it's like, you know, can you yeah. withstand those lows? You know, the challenging times. I mean, I also worked for an artist at the same time. So at night I'd go and work for an artist as her assistant who was kind of this really interesting, slightly crazy Russian lady. And I'd like work in her spare room and then she'd like put everything onto the bed and like, it was kind of intense and weird. weird. Um, and quite late at night, like 7 p.m. till 11 p.m. And that's then I'd go That's a lot home. of art in a day. I mean, granted oh, yeah, you were earning I'm, money, but geez, that's a lot of art. I didn't earn much money from her, but I was like, I was just interested to be around this woman. I was like, she's... She had this energy and she was making art and she was weird. And I felt like it was great to be around some an eccentric lady. I was like, yeah. this is, I want to be her. Like, how do I live in this strange flat? And like, I don't know. And she made it work. Like she'd also have people come and sit for her. She was making these strange portraits and then she'd have this other body of work. So I think it was my taste of like what it was, what it could, what it could look like if, if you were going to be an artist and how it might work and um, and permission to be strange and permission to not have to, cause I was spent so much time trying to fit in the gallery world just so I could like live and be day to day that I think I kind of lost sight of that a bit. Um, and the value of it too, like, you know, you kind of, those gallery girl jobs are really depressed. Like, you know, the being told you have to wear heels even is like, now I'd be like outraged, like what, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they wouldn't do it now probably, but yeah, a lot of that kind of sexist stuff and just not feeling like I had a voice, which is a bit pathetic, I think, but also genuinely at the time just had to kind of, I just felt like I had to crack on with it and not question it too much. Um, so, so that kind of was a good experience to have at night. They like this underbelly a little bit and she took me to show sometimes and she'd encourage me and she'd like, you know, sometimes give me materials that were old paints and stuff. So yeah. You still in good. touch with her? Yeah, she did. She did come to some, she's come to some shows and it's great because she turns up and it's like, she's just the same. Like that's yeah. what's also amazing. People like that, like, and it's very exciting to see and she's still making work and yeah, we are still in touch, which is great. So she's still slightly crazy. She's totally crazy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think, she, she probably, hopefully she won't listen to this. I don't know. <laughs> she, in a good no, way. I mean, we're, we're in saying a really like, good you know, way. Yeah. crazy, like, you know, she just like, had like, she had an opinion. Free, energetic. Yeah. She had an life. opinion. Yes. Yeah. She was living life. She was having a great time and she wasn't apologizing to anybody, you know, and that might mean screaming at you. And then but she wouldn't apologize. She'd be like, this is urgent and you've messed it up. Like, <laughs> you know, I think there was something great about being like, it's okay to be impolite, you know, not yeah. actively for the sake of being rude, but like it was kind of, which is weird because my mom was a feminist. Like there's no reason I shouldn't have been. I think I just spent so much time appeasing everybody that it became a state of being, you know? And, right. and so it was the first time of tasting that. And, and you do have to not care if you're going to make work a hundred percent. Like that's one of the keys. 
Otherwise, you'd always be looking over your shoulder. You'd always be asking Gustin what he thinks, and then you'd changing be what you're doing. Ruined. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, you have to have conviction. Yeah, as hard as it is sometimes, <laughs> especially early on. You know, when you have those voices are in your ear and they're louder at that point. You know, yeah, yeah. Get a little older, and it's easier to say, ah, "I'm going to do what I want to do." You know, but yeah, yeah, having conviction is important. Although yeah. I do think converse to what you were saying about it. I mean, I do think it is useful to be polite in the art mm. world, as an artist. Oh yeah, but that's not all the time. Think, although, yeah. but just being a generally a good person, yeah, can give you a lot more opportunities because and, yeah, you know, there's this perception sometimes. I mean, it's kind of outdated to where the artist has mm. to be this sort of you know slightly sociopathic and not really get along or be so eccentric that they can't operate in normal social settings or whatever it is that doesn't help you out as far as you know working with people but that's fascinating too because I think that's that's part of the struggle is like so first of all you learn that you can be yourself and like say what you want and you know okay it's okay this is an idea and I'm going to run with it and I don't I don't care if it's going to offend someone um then you have to learn (laughs) the other bit of it so it's like yeah I think you're totally right and I think that's um I mean it's amazing I mean you're doing these podcasts and there's like there's like over 250 of these, right? That your discussions with other artists you're giving time to. Yeah. I mean, that's a hugely generous... I think that's a good good example of that, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, do you, I'm sure you, you don't necessarily feel like it, 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 it in that way. You don't think, oh, I'm being super kind to my peers. No, not think- at all. And I, <laughs> I say it sometimes on when people say like, oh, it's such a generous thing. I say, it's really... I'm doing it for myself. I mean, I, I love it. I love talking yeah. to people and, yeah. um, that's great that other people listen to it and get value out of it. And it seems to, you know, seem like a very generous thing that I'm doing. And, but, mm-hmm. uh, but it, I, I love it. I love talking to someone each week, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it is, I'm, I'm pretty selfish. <laughs> oh, come on. We all, we all are. Otherwise we wouldn't, we wouldn't keep turning up in the studio. We'd, uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. The me show. Like, look at my brain. <laughs> Witness me. <laughs> no, it is nice to decentralize that a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think uh, for me, like having a kid did that too. When it mm. all used to be the me show, like everything was about me. And then you have a kid and then you're like, oh, it's not all about me at all anymore, mm. which is a good mm-hmm. thing. It, it makes you a bit. But I think the the sort of um, <laughs> that relationship of like, you know, being off the cuff or like that eccentric to the point to where like you can't corral this artist that the, what was so alluring to that for people was is you could tell socially that these people weren't going to rein it in like and in their work mm. they were just cavalier and and willing to break down doors and just you know <coughs> say whatever they wanted to say no matter what you know but you can do that in your work or you can be you know have those elements in your work and not necessarily have to do that in an opening well totally and I think that's where that's for me that's partly what I I don't know some switch went I think that year like 2018 making that work someone came into the studio and saw some work and they were like you know you're kind of like I feel like these are really enigmatic and not in a good way like they're coded like who are you coding them for how do I get the code like how do I read that you know um and she left and I remember being kind of devastated and I remember getting this massive brush like the size of my fist or maybe like somewhere between my fist and my head the Mm -hmm. biggest brush I've got I've never used it someone bought it for me one birthday Christmas and it's like 
you know, it's kind of expensive for the brushes I had at the time. So it was like precious. Anyway, I got this brush and it was, I made a fist and I got this thing in my hand and I like dabbed it in this really gorgeous, juicy kind of brown and just went for it on this massive canvas. <laughs> and it was sort of like angry painting. It was like, yeah. I'll show you I'm not, are these are coded. These are not coded. You know, like kind of ranting at this canvas whilst painting. And I remember stepping back and it was like, I'd basically made a, the arm and a fist and then the actual fist of this figure with my own physical body like in relation to the body of the thing with this massive brush um with this energy and emotion and I was like oh shit this is this is far this is good like this is cathartic right well it just looked it looked like a fist it wasn't illustrational it kind of it wasn't I could see what it was but it was just the paint like it was all the things I was trying to do it was drawing it was direct it was I guess all my ambition tick point all the like you know, desires to be, to do this in a painting. Um, and it felt again, that thing of like, I guess the impolite, impolite thing, the, the not putting a layer in front of it, like making it clever or putting the filter on or, uh, what's it about? Or like the, here's the big concept for the idea or whatever it is. It was just doing it because it was like, uh, I need to respond to this thing. This is ha- happening now. Very present. That was the time. That was the first time of being like, Okay, this is important. And to make from maybe bad, make from frustration, make from anger, make from, you know, maybe less joy. <laughs> I think I am like, so it is the place where I think I put a lot of that stuff, the like, you know, the aggression, the, when I, the inability to say something to someone and I leave and I'm like, oh shit, I should have said that thing. And you just would look stupid and stood in the corner and you were embarrassed. And, you know, that all goes, the embarrassment goes in the painting shame goes into you know right right um you know i mean also the hopes and stuff there is positive it's not like i'm making negative hopefully not making negative work but i think the energy that that kind of feisty energy um when i realized i could be that person in the studio it was like whoa this whole yeah super liberating and also exciting because it's like discovering a part of yourself that you didn't really have it was like you're maybe holding on to and then you kind of letting this thing out and then and then it, it has its own life too, which is great. I imagine too, when you're talking earlier about how you have that aggressive side, but you don't know exactly how to channel it. <laughs> like it wasn't, you know, like kickboxing or something like maybe that was an avenue where you could release that. Yeah. Cause it wasn't damaged. Like I remember I did do boxing and, and actually an early boyfriend was a boxer. And so we used to box together and had a boxing bag in the garage, in the garage thing at home. And I used to break a lot of things by accident, just by like shutting them too hard or like, I don't know, fights with my brother as well. I used to knock him out quite a lot accidentally, which is a whole nother story. But um, these kind of like um, this, I guess it's like control again. Like when you're, when you lose control, I think we're often embarrassed about that. Even, you know, aggression's one thing, but um, you know, sadness, crying, all that stuff. I just couldn't really, I wasn't great at showing emotions, I guess, uh, or, or sitting with them maybe. Um, yeah, and it felt like, so it wasn't necessarily like, the punching as in like to hurt something it was the the sensation and I think that's very much part of the work is this idea of the feeling of being in a body or the feeling of all those sensations kind of brought together that then kind of manifest in different ways to create this layered uh I don't know I was about to say sensational that's not quite what I mean (laughs) it's like you know it's like a melange of stuff isn't it like the feeling of eating chocolate the feeling of saying Gloria the feeling of um 
the inside of a mouth, the feeling of toothache, the feeling of like, if you could have all that whilst you're painting someone's mouth, that's like amazing to me. And ultimately yeah. anatomy too is, that's part of anatomy is all that information. And yeah, I think the body's fascinating because of that, all the stuff that's going on whilst we're just here talking, um, the filtering, the processing, the, you know, obviously the digestion and the, the scatological stuff is always great. There's always a poo being made, um, which is funny. Um, you know, the saliva, the, there's so much stuff and it's insane, you know, even to like the nerves, it's, um, endlessly brilliant. That's all that. Right. Yeah. No, it, and there's a direct physicality to it. You know, there's yeah. a directness there. It's so exactly. funny. Cause when I think about what I'm drawn to visually, a lot of times is the sort of indirect, mm. it's almost like seeing uh, like who we are through looking at nature or looking at something else, you know yeah. what I mean? Which is like kind of the exact opposite of that thing, where it's <laughs> yeah. never really about the, the intimacy of the initial like direct physicality. Yeah. It's always a reference to, um, you know, it's almost like, you know, looking at yourself and then looking in the mirror, you know what I mean? It's both yeah. the same thing. One's mediated, yeah. you know what I mean? And then one is, but it's both a reflection or an understanding of yourself, but it's just a different way. Yeah, mediator is a good word. I mean, a lot of people do say sometimes that their paintings are hard to look at at first, or they become hard to look at, or there's especially the aggression thing. Like, there's an aspect of aggression, and I think I don't know. I'm always surprised by that because I'm like, the world is hard to look at. Like right now, this is pretty tough. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, every day it's like. So I, I'm I'm surprised that people are so kind of affronted by these things in 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 art because, like, I don't know. It's like a yeah, it, it, it is. There's a lot of layers of stuff happening <laughs> all the time. I think it's just what you choose to pay attention to. So yeah, people who true. get upset by that. They want to ignore it. So they're, yeah. they're more interested in, you know, looking at the beautiful and ignoring the ugly. Because it's every, yeah. both are everywhere. Like well, exactly. if you look at our world, there's a yeah. lot of like awful things and there's a lot of wonderful, beautiful things happening, yeah. happening simultaneously. And like if you look at the media, it's just they usually yeah. tend to gravitate towards the awful because it it's like a train wreck. Like people just want to watch it or they're, they're compelled. So, and they yeah. want people to be compelled. So it just seems like that's, there's more negative going on, but there's a, there's positive too. It just gets overlooked. Well, it's also hilarious. Like that's why I love John Waters because the idea that, you know, he, the serial moms is about imagining a serial mom, like a, a mom who's taking a kid's school every day that goes a bit crazy one day, loses it and, kill someone with a, a heel a stiletto mm -hmm. <laughs> because they're like the noise next door I think I can't remember the exact plot but it's so believable and not just that he read it in a paper somewhere so the idea right. that like I mean I love fiction for that reason like a lot of fiction is just overheard conversations that are real like this is genius like yeah so that idea of like suspending disbelief imagination and then reality and where those things collide like that's like great literature as well and great um, storytelling and all that stuff it's like um, you know the hearsay and you know the, I think that's it's interesting because having read I just read his book um, Mr. Know-it-all um, which is amazing if if anyone's not read it's like it, it, he does know it all it's properly genius and um, yeah. it made me it made me look up a lot of things actually a lot of music he's very good on music but um, yeah but yeah the way he gets his stories like some of the headlines 
he referenced and he goes to like the dark places to find you know the back of the papers or the this the, the like kind of um the more shitty newspaper you know the one that's like not very well respected that just talks about like the the parochial activities of the village um and it's hilarious i mean it happens in like a little village in in france there was a story where this lion escaped there's like a touring zoo that come to this village and this lion escaped one year and like started eating people i mean that is like that is genius. <laughs> that's <laughs> like the best short story you've ever read. Um, right. And it really happened. Like, that's amazing. So I think, um, yeah, I guess that's what I'm, t- what I'm maybe nodding to that. Like, it's not, I'm not saying it's all awful. I'm just saying a lot of these emotions that work from end up being ludicrous because actually it is crazy if you're like stood with friends and then something happens and you'd suddenly burst out crying or something. It's sort of hilarious at the same time. Um, right. I don't know. Yeah, it undermines itself somehow. Yeah, I think it's all, it's it, like I was saying before, it's all how you look at things too. Mm, mm. Like he was really great at looking at the beauty of the the unbeautiful, right? <laughs> like what is amazing about things that are seen as being like, you know, lowbrow or, mm, mm. and then you could just as much look at very rich people in these palatial places and, and see like real housewives of orange county yeah. or like shows like that and see the ugliness <laughs> of what appears to be a beautiful facade or something you know it's all yeah. it's all there at all times it's just what you focus in on miami's in good for that i went to miami for the first time 2019 and that was like a whole world of that stuff like chalk yeah. chalk cheese and then the stilton just like boom 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 it's brilliant it's really exciting yeah it's all sort of you know, the, the mold there's somewhere yeah. in between like and and all the bodies like there's a really good it's a great um yeah f- foraging ground for bodies <laughs> that is true yeah so the i imagine traveling might help with your work or like you find a lot of inspiration doing stuff well and you weren't able to there for like a year over a year did that change things a bit it's weird. I don't know if travel, I mean, I think travel's really good for you. Um, I sort of believe, you know, obviously believe in it. And, and it's, it's a luxury in some ways, I think, you know, that idea of like going away. It all feels very exciting and luxurious. But um, but it is really a real game changer in terms of often light um, and colour. Um, you know, and the, the things you don't know you're seeing, I think is often amazing. Even on like, I mean, we did, we managed to go to like um, Dartmoor when we were in the UK and there's a lot of wildlife. So like sheep are everywhere and cows and stuff. And we'd, I'd kind of make these weird drawings of rocks and then these drawings of sheep. And some rocks are called like Roche Moutonne, which is like, they're called like lying down sheep. So this kind of funny relationship between the rocks and the sheep and then um, sheep suckling and stuff, which look a bit like humans because my drawings always end up being humans in some way, um, human bodies. So that then feeds into the work as well. So I think I'm not good at taking the break, like going on the travel. But right. um, once I do it, once I get there, I'm like, oh, this is maybe afterwards. I'm like, that was great, but not <laughs> not good at the time. Right, um, right. Yeah, unless it's maybe somewhere like, like going to New York and then seeing loads of galleries, which is a different type of travel. But um, I think it's been interesting for me in the pan, like during the last year and a bit. Yeah, not leaving I was in New York in 2019, just before the pandemic happened, which was kind of amazing because it was a seeing friends from Skowhegan. It was, it felt like I half lived there because of all these friends. And I had this, like a really amazing experience just um, with that extended family and seeing New York from like, as if I was an artist who lived there and had a studio there. So that was really great. 
um, and then came back with a whole nother lease of life, really, um, which maybe was why it felt, I don't know, I mean, it's been a funny year, but I think um, the sort of hibernation thing or the lockdown literal like in the studio my studio's never closed so I could be here with the work um it's just been amazing for me like genuinely it's focused me it's made it's meant I could go on these lines of inquiry I guess not having anyone to like pull things out or or take even work away or it wasn't working to what I mean I did end up I got two shows over the pandemic so that also really helped right I think at the beginning I was like shit everything's cancelled my career's over (laughs) no one's gonna care about what I ever make again blah blah but woe is me you know ego trip and then um and then after that I was like okay um I need to just keep and, and then you start making work anyway I think I started making work also from a position of enjoyment so things that felt good so I was like coloring in I was making drawing coloring books for my grandma which were amazing and like really I was like these are great these are really exciting and these are like the line was different you know some quality was different um because I wasn't thinking about making art I was just making these drawings anyway and then I was digging a lot uh we had this small bit of garden and it was like a feral patch of land so we it seemed crazy to have like the Somme outside when that was our one bit of space <laughs> so right, right. it became this project so it was like just but I would I loved the motion of the digging so I would just dig for no reason just digging to turn over the earth and it felt very like uh primal that like going back to this basic like would I'm digging in the earth and I'm the, the bacteria is released and then I'm gonna go and paint with this other form of dirt and then come back and then do more digging and then so it was this kind of really basic but sort of amazing um balance you know I think maybe I've never felt that balanced where I could just have that rhythm um and the work felt great I was working in sort of series which hadn't really done so so much before where each work felt like it led to the next work and had these conversations and the themes of the work too were really specifically about this idea of the lack of communication or taking away some form of um you know like if um if I was digging, it would be about the conversation between the per- the people digging the- and what was underground and the kind of the roots and the rhizomes and how they might mirror the bits of the body. Um, and also been, being visited by like memories of relatives and stuff whilst doing those kind of activities. Um, so having these kind of floods of information that I think I just didn't have time to even listen to before. Um, yeah was interesting yeah and I was also lucky that other artists were around so we had these kind of kind of idyllic lunch times where we'd have an hour's lunch together outside we'd like sit and eat cheesecake <laughs> one of them's a really good cook um nice yep amazing JP is amazing and um and they they've become like a super like one of the most important support network family people that I've got in my life you know and very integral to the making and and the kind of uh, they're my kind of third and fourth and fifth and sixth eyes, if you like, you know. Yeah. No, it sounds like it, I mean, obviously it wasn't an ideal situation, but mm. it sounds like some, a lot of good things came out of it. I think, I, you know, I don't have kids and I think that's a whole different ball game. Um, I did lose my grandma, which was super tough and I'm quite far away from my family. So my mum is in, is nearby. My brother's quite nearby, but my, all the rest of my family are not nearby. So to not see them at all, yeah, that got quite tough. tough yeah and I think I was I know I'm lucky they're in the same country um and I know a lot of people who have family abroad and that's like I don't I, I mean it must be really hard 
Um, so I think, you know, I think it was a weird time of, of that incubation with a bit of difficulty or maybe a lot of difficulty, but, yeah. but it did make you kind of really present. I mean, I, I find it, I'm quite impatient, as I've said, and I find it quite hard to not be distracted or not be like working on seven things at the same time or, um, you know, texting and emailing, watching TV. And then also I'm listening to a podcast and then, <laughs> so it was a great way of like simplifying life and being like, yeah. and I did stupid things. Like I was reading about plants and stuff a lot. So I was then like washing my house plant, like gave them a spa day and stuff, which is like, <laughs> sounds so shit, but it was amazing. And you can like, like wash their leaves and then give them like mist them and stuff. And then yeah. it was just so amazing. It was like giving this gift to someone a bit like washing, like if, I don't know if you've got any old relatives, but if you wash their hands and like moisturize them and massage them and stuff, especially if they've got sore hands, like it's like this bond thing that you don't speak, right. but you have this connection. And because I couldn't see my family, it sort of felt a bit like this family. I don't know. It was weird. So I kind of was communing with a lot of these plants, um, in a way that felt really important and then cooking meals that were related to my memories of family. Um, nice. Which is yeah. also weird, but like cauliflower cheese. And then I'd be like immediately like having these waves of memory and then like calling my grand for a recipe. And then, yeah, it was just really interesting that, um, maybe I had a sort of block into, in those terms, you know, um, and it seemed to unblock itself. Um, I think now is pretty t tough. I'm finding it hard to like move forward out of it um, and retain that. I don't know really how to do that <laughs> yet. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> difficult. It's like being in the dark for a year and then going out into really bright light. I yeah. mean, it's just hard to adapt. But that's what we do. At the beginning <laughs> of it, everyone was like, how are we going to, you know, not go outside or not be doing, uh, how are we going to like wash our groceries or... That was a whole everything. thing. Yeah. You just do it. You just, humans acclimate. We will acclimate mm. to whatever it is. Mm. You know? That's true. That's true. Hopefully with, so, mind, with mindfulness though. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, ideally, mm. um, it will affect some people. Some mm. people just revert back, but I think mm. most people will have, even if it's unconscious. Mm. So what do you have coming up or going on now that you would like to share with people? Um, so, so I had, so the, the last show that I had was with the, the white cube. It was an online show because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And also it's this new program they have called introductions. Um, and that opened in January. So that was like, um, really intense. I'd say it was like probably the most romantic period in making that I've had. I remember someone at Skowhegan said it was like making work, their work was this romantic experience or something. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, come on. <laughs> but actually it really was for me recently. So I'm like, okay, I take it back. I think he's right. Like maybe we can have that. Um, but actually, again, I do think we remember these things with rose tinted glasses too, because someone reminded me today that how I'm feeling right now, which is a little bit more like scratchy about everything is actually how I was feeling at the beginning of that series. <laughs> so oh, maybe yeah. it's just the cycle, but, um, I'm basically working on a new body of work for a solo show with Nero Ratnam Gallery, which is a gallery in London. Um, nice. And that's in late September um, and October, and it'll run through to November. So it's quite a nice long run. And it's over like three spaces. So there's going to be uh, a series of work and, and smaller work. It's been interesting to try and... A lot of my work is really big because it's about bodies. So it's like to the scale of human architecture. Yeah. Um so it's been quite interesting to have this challenge of working with a smaller space and 
I guess the the problems of working smaller, you know, tiny brushes are. Um, and it's interesting because my brother is really into Warhammer. Do you know what Warhammer is? Do you know? Do you have that Not in the all. US? Okay. I mean, lucky, lucky you. Um, they're like these little figurines that like grown men buy. And then, well, not just men, sorry, that's really sexist. I'm sure lots of people <laughs> play with them. <laughs> it feels like a 40-year-old guy thing. But anyway, um, they're like little figurines, models that then you can paint, you paint them. You, you buy mm-hmm. them as like an army, you paint them, and then you play these games with them as, as a, like a community. Um, and he was into them as a kid, basically, but he's still into them now and he's 33. Um, and, you know, obviously that's a great way thing to like, for me, I'm like, oh my God, this is so lame. But then I went recently to, to paint one with him. He was like, oh, come on then, show me how good you are at painting, you know, because he, <laughs> they don't really take it that, you know, he doesn't necessarily take it that seriously that I'm, <laughs> what I do every day, <laughs> right? which is good for me. So he, um, yeah, anyway, so we went and he had these tiny brushes, these teeny tiny brushes and these tiny tiny things and you know I was sort of like painting my nails thinking like like you know it was like this it was almost impossible this this activity and I had a whole nother level of respect for <laughs> what he was doing just thinking yeah, it's not like easy working tiny no just being yeah. like wow this is so amazing and and like it's not just a precision it's something about like you hold your breath differently and the weight of everything is different you know I remember learning about Indian miniature painting and the kind of the different the, the width of everything is different you know it's a bit like when you're on your period and you you retain water when you're menstruating and all your body swells by one centimeter and the whole world feels a little bit out of sync with your body yeah. you know you knock things right, over a right. lot and stuff um and it felt a bit like that I was like wow this is amazing so it's been really great to have that experience with him and then bond over it too and then come back to the studio and have these I mean they're not that small but they're smaller for me so that's been a really um it's quite difficult I'm in a spot where it feels difficult which I think is always like we forget that that's really why we're doing it and we sort of like oh god I want to I wish it wasn't as difficult as this what if I could never do it again I've lost it but actually I think that's why it's great (laughs) like you have to remind yourself like not easy but useful, right? Yeah. It's like going to exercise. It's like you're like, oh, <laughs> God, I wish lifting this weight was easier. But that's how you grow, you know, is like by challenging yourself. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I mean, if you fight, what's that difficulty for you? Are you in it? Are you in that spot or are you right now? Difficulty. I have so many difficulties. <laughs> Where to begin? Um, yeah. For me right now, it's like juggling. You know what I mean? I feel mm. like just doing a lot of different things and, and staying focused sometimes is a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's not that I'm not wor- like I'm working all the time. It's just delegating in my mind all these different things can be a challenge. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And they also leaving space. I mean, space. that's that's first world that's first world problem. I mean, <laughs> you know, oh, I've got you know what I mean? Like it's I bring it upon myself, but at yeah. the same time it is sometimes exhausting or, you know, prioritizing and making sure that you're getting everything done yeah. can be much. Yeah, definitely. But it's good. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, so you have, so you just had this show. You Are you working on new work now? Yeah. Or is some of the work that you've been working on been from the pandemic? You know, no, era? everything's new. So the, the, I was about to say the pandemic show. <laughs> now that's one you want to see. Um, right. <laughs> that was... <laughs> That was the white cube show. So, um, yeah, that work was for that. Um, and actually it was, it was called knock, knock. 
as in a knock knock joke because there was no one there to ask the punchline um (laughs) sorry that's my little private there's a lot of like stupid private jokes that go like (laughs) that's why i like painting you're just on your own like being like this is so difficult and no one really cares um so yeah so anyway so the new work is something to do with um like mortal engines these ideas of like mechanizing the bodies more and thinking about automatronic structures kind of maybe more sci like I, I do read a lot of sci-fi but I guess thinking about we do feel like we're about to enter a post something moment and what would that look Definitely. like and how could it be I mean I'm always questioning like is this a positive is you know is the next thing going to be this amazing breakthrough of humanity or is it going to be a complete breakdown thing and the tension right. in those positions so um I think that's sort of what I'm questioning, but through these machines that maybe stand, you know, they have these kind of belted structures or maybe they're becoming like motorways or I don't know. I guess I'm thinking about the systems that exist and how they might operate if the bodies had to perform them. Um, so taking really simple ideas like the idea of a fountain, um, which is a really tricky one with the body because it co- becomes grotesque like really quickly. <laughs> like, it wants to go there. It just wants to be like fluid, fluids. <laughs> fluids. And actually there's a Debuffy painting called um, The Tree of Fluids, which is a painting of a woman like kind of splayed. It looks like um, a prolapse. Like it's the probably, it's quite offensive to look at as a woman. Um, and... I just think about that painting and I was like, oh God, like that's, that's where he wants to go. But anyway, so I've not made that painting, but <laughs> it might never get made. But there's, um, so there's that. And then there's ideas of, I guess, faciality, which are a bit to do with that, where zooming in, because uh, my paintings get a small, getting smaller, inevitably they're either about crops or they're about faces. So thinking about how you make a face, um, trying to read like Deleuze and Guattari's writing about faciality and... Like some of it is delicious in the ideas, but the actual the actual text itself is like it's so dense, like a thousand plateaus. It's not an easy text, so you're like you know I'm kind of plodding with that, which is kind of great and enjoyable. Um, and yeah, and then there's there's good things alongside that, like f- the idea to face off, um, to have a face off with someone. So reading about like um, the faces in wrestling, but also. Uh, really bad films like there's a film called Face Off with John Travolta and a very young hot Nick Cage don't know if you've seen it it's terrible I, uh, I know the movie but I haven't seen it it's quite terrible um, but it's an amazing premise and I think <laughs> so stuff like that so I'm kind of mine I'm in that mining phase where I'm sort of looking into what these things might mean and reading actually Stalin Love's Stalin Love's Lem um, Stanislav Lem, and that's how you say it, uh, the Russian sci-fi uh, novelist, nice. um, who wrote a book called Mortal Engines, which was is a phrase that appears throughout loads and loads and loads of, um, I think, like uh, Milton and, I don't know, loads of writing anyway. So just this idea of, like, what happens if machines do something too well and take over the human and how do the humans want to control the machine and that kind of... The relationship between our future selves our past selves and our present selves, I suppose, is what I'm sort of, sounds very lofty. <laughs> I'm sort of... <laughs> no, that's good stuff. I'm, I'm sure you're a, a J.G. Ballard fan. Yeah. Or Philip Dick. Yeah, yeah, like totally. To- yeah, yeah, amazing. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting what you come back to because I think actually there's a great book called We, and I can't remember who the author is. Um, I could look it up. Um, and that's about this, this city where they kind of exist in um, glass boxes. So they can kind of see everything, but they have to be 
completely isolated. And there's something really right. interesting about that alongside this idea of faciality being the idea that we slip into our faces. So the kind of permeability of skin, but also the kind of, we all want to be distanced, I mean, especially now maybe, but you know, what, what, what kind of boundaries we need and how to kind of fuck around with those a little bit in terms of geometry and biology in the body. Um, right. Yeah, sort of thinking about. It all sounds good. Well, when, <laughs> how, what's, the, what's the best way for people to see your stuff? Um, I mean, I do... You do social media I, and you do, you, do, <clears throat> you do this format as well. <laughs> Tell everyone where they can check out your stuff. So yeah, I am on Instagram, um, somewhat reluctantly at the moment, actually. I saw Lisa Yuskovich has left Instagram and like did this brilliant way of leaving. And I was like, oh shit, we all should leave like en masse, like because they don't allow nipples, which I'm like, is a very good reason to leave. But um, anyway, she, so she's inspired this like revolt against it, but I do still use it and engage with it because I'm a wuss and I've not stood up to it yet. Um, and I like finding out about stuff. I think it's useful. Um, so there's like snippets of things on there. Um, I do have a website, which is kind of up to date ish. Um, I think all our websites are probably need a bit of time. Um, they but, get neglected right? because of <laughs> yeah. social media, but there's some yeah. stuff there. And then, um, yeah, I do a podcast called chats with artists in lockdown. I wish I called it something else, but that's what it's called. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, Can't you just change it to chats with artists after lockdown. No. Yeah. I mean, it'll just, I'll just probably draw a little line on there. And like right after. <laughs> dot, above dot, it. Dot. Um, I think it'll get a better name at some point. It'll be fine. But, um, yeah, that's been amazing to start over lockdown and try and learn. And that's something else that I was a complete novice at. So just, continuing to learn about that but um the chats on there yeah with lots of different people some of whom are american actually but all over the place and they're continuing uh yeah i think that's probably about it it's great well listen it was great to talk to you today thank you so much it was great we made it happen (laughs) we did it thank you you for your patience and i look forward i look forward to talking to you again on the microphone i was about yeah i was about to say don't get to say that often to many guests i'm excited to do one with you i think it's after 250 i'm like i have questions (laughs) yeah it's um i think i'm at two there's over 270 or something and i'm excited about i think 300 is kind of a nice number yes you know what just to do what are you gonna stop like what's the no, like it, sometimes people ask, like, yeah. how long are you going to do these? And I just say, whenever I'm done over it. Yeah. Like if I, if I feel like I can't, or if I run out. Yeah. How many artists are <laughs> I love there? that. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, I started making like a little black book and I was like, oh God, this is like, I need another piece of paper. This is insane. Like, yeah, it's, it, sometimes people will say like, oh, what if you run out of people? And it's like, no, that's not, it's amazing. They just keep coming. That's like people say with, if you have like therapy ever and they say like, what happens when you, oh, I really worried. What happens if I heal my trauma? I'll have nothing to work from. And I remember, I, I, I mean, I, I've thought that in the past too. And then they're like, look at you like you're complete imbecile. And they're like, there's always more trauma. <laughs> like yeah, suffering will continue. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have any advice based on the sheer number of these, but um, it sure is fun. No, but it's, I think it'd be really good to hear about, you know, why you started it, what it is, what it's becoming. These things change. They have their own lives. And I think it's what you were saying before about it feeding in and becoming part of your, like, not your practice, but but something to do with the rhythm of your practice. That's really great. And how it can 
sometimes remind you sometimes I feel like they speak to you really directly as if like you needed to hear that thing right then or that conversation should have happened like the serendipitous thing totally and that's weird and I think that's a gift that you just don't expect almost um and then sometimes they're really hard because you the person isn't a talker or because I don't know they've they've in a bad mood or (laughs) something or the technology doesn't work or they're nervous or something you know so that's interesting too but yeah, I love the, I love when it starts off with like, wait, so is this live <laughs> or where is this on video? Like, you know, the I love people who've just never yeah. don't know what a podcast I is. I mean, They're like, wait, what? What are we? Is this radio? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. I mean, I wasn't that far away from that to be honest. So that's that's really funny. That, that usually means it's actually going to be a really good talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think if there's an unknowing, that's a good thing. Definitely. Yeah, the best is yeah when someone goes, "Am I on? Am I on?" Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did we? Oh, actually, good point. Did I? Should I have recorded this? <laughs> That's. I thought you were serious. I was like, uh. I'll give you a mini heart attack for a second. That's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry. No, this was really fun. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's great.